Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to invite you once again to stay with me. It will indeed be 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, some education, and no manipulation. You know what it means. No gimmicks, no games, not trying to coerce you into doing anything. This show is simply about giving you accurate information, information that will motivate you, educate you, but never manipulate you. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll stay tuned. We began a study last week, and we're going to review that, going back over the information that I began to give you last week. You know, this show is always about learning God's phenomenal problem-solving devices. And we've always studied, we've been back over and studied the ten unique problem-solving devices that make up the flot line of our soul. And you know that flot stands for forward line of troops. We use that military analogy for you learning the word of God, using it as the forward line of troops in your soul to stop the outside source of adversity from becoming the inside source of stress. You've heard me say adversity is inevitable, stress is optional. Because adversity is what circumstances do to you, and stress is what you do to yourself. So as a member of the royal family of God, if in fact you are, you do not have to live under stress. There is a unique way to live. It's called the Christian life. It's a life without worry. It's a life without bitterness. It's a life without fear. It's a life without hostility and antagonism and frustration. It's the Christian life. Using the problem-solving devices, we acquire the mind of Christ. Just as Paul told us to do in Philippians 2.5, we acquire the mind of Christ. We think like he thought. Romans 12.3 tells us to stop thinking of ourselves in terms of arrogance, but think in terms of humility. As God has assigned to each one of us a standard of thinking from his word. The neat thing about humility is it reflects teachability. If a person doesn't have humility, you cannot teach them anything because, first of all, they don't see themselves as they really are. They see themselves as they think they are. If you have that unrealistic self-image, then you wind up having unrealistic expectations of other people. I always love to hear from you. It's always wonderful. I get some amazing emails and amazing letters from listeners that that I really have never met but have been very faithful listeners. And they write to encourage me and tell me that uh, the shows are helping them, that they're learning, they're growing. You can always do that. I love to hear from you. Just simply go to our website, and that website is rickhughesministries.org, rickhughesministries.org. Or you can send us a letter uh, by U.S. Postal Service. That address is pretty easy also. Uh, if you want to write to us by email, it's rickhughesministries.org. That's our website, and you can email us from the website. Or you can just send it to Post Office Box 100. Now, I live in the big city of Cropwell, Alabama. Cropwell, Alabama, just like it sounds, C-R-O-P-W-E-L-L. Cropwell, Alabama, and the zip code is 35. 0-5-4. 
And we're not asking you for any contributions. That's not what I'm doing. But if you'd like to tell us what God's doing in your life and tell us how this radio show has encouraged you in your spiritual life, I always love to hear from you. Now, with that in mind, I would like for you to pray for more opportunities as we continue to advance the show across the United States. We've just added another station in Amarillo, Texas. I'm very happy to have them on board with us. And I'm looking for other stations as well. So pray that the Lord would open these doors for us and that we'd be able to have a ministry by means of the airwaves of America while we still have the opportunity. Last week I started a study with you on the toe. T-O-E. Before I go there today, I want to give you some verses and read them to you together. Listen carefully as I read these verses. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and the joint and the marrow is a critic of thought and intents of the heart. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him, with the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ and raised him from the dead, sitting him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Wow. What a phenomenal group of verses. Hebrews 4.12, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, and 2 Timothy 2.15, and then Ephesians 1.17, 1, 1.18, and 1.19. That pretty well gives it out, tells us what God's plan is for us, that we may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That's why we study God's word, and I'm not your pastor. I'm just a voice on the radio. But my job is to encourage you. My job is to give you accurate information, not human speculation, but accurate information. And under that accurate information, we went into a study called Your Toe, T-O-E, the study of your toe. And, you know, I made a joke out of it, but I'm not talking about what's on your foot. Toe is an acronym, and it stands for Your Time on Earth. Time on Earth. It's a new series that I've been teaching and had the privilege to teach, and I wanted to share some of it with you. Last week I told you that your time on earth is divided into two separate phases, phase one and phase two. Phase one is called B1. That's your first birthday. You didn't have anything to do with it. You just showed up one day and the doctor said it's a boy or it's a girl and there you were in B1. B2, that's different. B2, the second phase of your life, is your spiritual birth and As Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Being born of water in John 3, 5 is the first birthday, but being born of the Spirit in the same verse is the second birthday. 
No one can go to heaven without the second birthday, without being born again. That's why the Bible says if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things, all things are new. That's you in Christ. And, you know, I can't emphasize the frustration, the desperation of spending time on earth without Christ. I just cannot even imagine living like that. However, I read occasionally about people who have no direction. They have no confidence and no hope, no resources. They just live in a vicious circle of pain and conflict until their emotions are eventually overloaded. I read an article in a recent newspaper that talked about grief without God, a challenge. And this article was detailing an atheist who had lost her infant son. And she made this statement, quote now, she said, when people described her three-month-old son as being now an angel or being part of God's plan or in a better place than in his mother's arms, that that sort of pain would overwhelm her. She knew their intentions were good, but their words were not helpful to her since she's an atheist. So she told a group of about 30 people at a atheist monthly meeting in her area, quote, we don't think we will get to hold our children again. The article went on to state that as atheists, their community grows and matures, and people in that atheistic community are looking for ways to process grief and sorrow without the trappings or the support of religious rituals and religious beliefs. The lady mentioned in this article is a high school counselor. And her final statement is this. When I became an atheist, death was one of the hardest issues that I had to deal with. What a shame. To the unregenerate man, the disadvantaged person who has not experienced B2, the scriptures have these words to say. In James 4.14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? It's even a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. I told you last week the word vapor is the word for smoke. It's the word atmos, A-T-M-I-S in the Greek New Testament, smoke. And then there's another verse in James 1 that talks about a man who hears the word of God but doesn't do anything about it, and he's like looking into a mirror and walking away. And I made the analogy and asked the question, is your life all smoke and mirrors? I made that statement saying the unbeliever often finds himself hiding behind his human success, his human achievements, for fear that someone may actually see the loneliness that stalks him. He could have a great family. He could have a great bank account. But inside, he often has the fear of failure and no confidence in his achievement. And I guess when he's alone, the loneliness can overcome him like a deep, dark hole with no way to get out. Thus, all the smoke and all the mirrors to hide the fears and the frustrations in his life. I wrote a very small track called Happiness, and in that track I quoted Elvis Presley, who responded to the question put forth by a reporter. That reporter asked Elvis, since making a fortune and living your dream, are you happy? And Elvis obviously said, no, I'm not happy. I challenged you to look in the mirror, because the eyes that stare back at you will someday be empty. 
because someday your soul is going to leave your body by means of physical death. Clearly, the Bible says the days of our years are threescore years and ten, but if by reason of strength they be fourscore, yet their strength and labor and sorrow is in it, for it will soon be cut off and we will fly away. You know, the Bible is so clear, so clear. We live for a while and then we're gone. Isn't that amazing? How God gives us a second life, a second birth, so that we can live forever. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Here's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. It is there. It is a eternal kingdom. It is for you. It is where the eye hath not seen, the ear hath not heard, and the heart hath not felt the wonderful things God has for you, but only, only for the regenerate man, the man who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Born again implies that new relationship. One birth is nothing. That doesn't do it. You know, it's the second birth that does it. And so that's the important thing about being born again. It is your eternal foundation to the eternal presence of God. Now, I want to move on today, and I want to go into some more things in regards to this study. One of my recent studies, I dealt and studied the royal official from Herod's court who came to our Lord Jesus Christ to seek healing for his son. And when I was listening to this talk by my very own pastor, my pastor said these words, and I'd like to quote him. He said, if only people could realize there's something more involved in their life than just going through it, just dodging the pain and dodging the hurt and dodging the problems. How much better to meet that difficulty head on and solve them with the problem-solving devices. The Bible tells us that we're here and we are to redeem the time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. There we are to walk circumspectly, not be a fool, but be wise and redeem our time because the days are evil. That word time is the Greek word kairos. It's a measure of time God gives us. It's a fixed time. It's an opportunity. And the time that's referred to in this verse is your toe, your time on earth. It's your window of opportunity. First of all, to make peace with God, to believe in his son and receive him as your savior, and then to glorify him with every thought and deed and action in your life. You know, like me, I don't know, I'm wearing a wristwatch right now. Are you? I can tell you one thing, I've never looked at my wristwatch to see what time it was. I normally look at my watch to see what time it is because it's my asset. Time is my asset. It is my capital that God has given to me, and I am to invest it wisely. I'm not to forfeit time, and I'm not to allow time to be stolen. Why? Because the Bible says the days are evil. The days are evil. See, the evil is the policy of Satan, and you're confronted with this on a daily basis. Satan is very good at deceiving the minds of men into thinking they're doing the right thing. 
you know, political correctness and all of that sort of stuff. Most people don't even recognize evil if they see it. Evil is a system, not necessarily a deed. Evil can be sin, but evil can be a system also. This is something you can count on. All human good is evil. All human good is evil. What is human good? Well, number one human good thing in the world is organized religion. Organized religion is very evil. It's the counterfeit of the real thing because Christianity may be religious, but it's a relationship first. It's you having a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's anointed son. If you have religion without the relationship, all you have is evil. You have man under man's efforts trying to approbate God. Unfortunately, the justice of God doesn't accept that because the justice of God is the guardian of the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is perfect. And the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are like a filthy rag in God's eyes. There are none that are righteous. No, not even one. So you can take the most holy Christian that you know, the most holy person that's ever lived, never stepped on a bug, never smoked a cigarette, never took a drink, never said a cuss word, never cheated on his taxes. And he is like a filthy rag in God's eyes. You cannot, under the concept of human good, impress God with your righteousness. One small sin and you're done for. And that's why the Bible says he that knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. The only righteousness that I have and you have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only reason that I can go to heaven, the only reason that I can pray, the only reason that I have confidence is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He satisfied the justice of God. He atoned me. He redeemed me out of the slave market of sin. And I have eternal life, but not. Not because I'm a good person, not because I'm a religious person, but because I have faith alone in Christ alone. It's not faith plus my religion. It's not faith plus my church attendance or my giving or my pattern of living. It's faith alone in Christ alone. Remember that because all human good is evil and it can be a distortion. That's why the Bible says Satan has his own ministers. The Bible says he has his own doctrine. The Bible even says he has his own communion table. Did you know all of that? It's all there. We must be careful because the greatest evil of all is organized religion, which is nothing more than counterfeit salvation and counterfeit spirituality. Counterfeit spirituality. I don't have enough time to teach the whole doctrine of evil. But what Paul said in Ephesians 5.17 is still relevant to us today. Do not be stupid. Don't be dumb. Don't be unwise. Get smart and understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Well, number one, that you be filled with his spirit. That's the first thing. After you're saved, you can't operate in the Christian life if you're not filled with the spirit. 
You cannot do it in the energy of the flesh. It's a supernatural way of living. And that's why our Lord Jesus Christ said, when I go away, I'm going to send my spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us. The Bible says the flesh wars against the spirit. The spirit wars against the flesh. They're contrary one to the other. So unless I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit, then at best I'm producing energy of the flesh. Christians do it every day. Christians sin. They quench the Holy Spirit. They grieve the Holy Spirit. They don't deal with their sin. They act like they're righteous. They act like they're holy. They put up the smoke and mirrors and they go to church and go through the routine. And it's evil. Because all of that human good will be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. God will not accept any of that phony baloney stuff that they tried to pass off as true spirituality. I mean, what a shame. Showing up at the judgment seat of Christ, expecting some great reward because you built up human equity over time, and only pretty discover that it was all wasted time. No good. Not acceptable to God. Wow. Does this sound foreign to you? Does this sound strange to you? You know, in Matthew 12, our Lord was attacked by the Sabbath police. That's the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. Even the Herodians attacked him. Because his disciples picked some grain to eat on the, quote, Sabbath. And our Lord's discourse with these legalistic Pharisees, he often really aggravated them because he would say these words, Do you not know? Have you not read? In Mark twelve eighteen, he said, Do you not know the scriptures? You know, this was about the resurrection. And our Lord, I mean, he constantly nails these people. You have it, but you don't know it. You don't, you don't understand it. You haven't read it. You haven't digested it. The only thing they had gotten out of the law and out of the prophets was a legalistic lifestyle. They wrote about it in the Mishnah and the, and, the, and all of the <clears throat> books of the tradition, the oral tradition. They had so many traditions that, I mean, you might as well just lay in your bed all day Sunday or you'd be sinning any other way. And the Pharisees were running around trying to make sure you didn't sin. In the Bible, in Hebrews 5, Verses 11 through 16, that writer admonishes his readers for their lack of interest. He said they were dull of hearing. Their perceptive ability was not very sharp. And he explained the truth to them. And and he said, if I tried to tell you the truth, it would be very hard. Here's what he said. Listen, I'll quote it. Of whom we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you're dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be a teacher, you now need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He's a baby. But solid food belongs to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. These people that our Lord were, were talking to, they, they were not even babies. They had not even had the second birth. They still were operating in birth one, just as Nicodemus was operating until the Lord explained it to him. 
Dull of hearing. Dull is a word, interesting word, nothros. Nothros in the Greek New Testament. It has nothing to do with perceptive ability. Any believer that has positive volition can learn the word of God. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can perceive the word of God. You might have to get a dictionary. You might have to learn what some different words mean, but you can grow in grace if you want to. But you see, negative volition. Negative volition doesn't want to spend time inculcating the word of God. Negative volition complains about how long the preacher preached or the big words the preacher used, or the subject that the preacher tackled. Negative volition is always going to find an excuse not to listen because he's slow or sluggish. That's what the word dull means. These things bore him. Many people get bored easily when teaching the word of God. Then you know, this is why many churches have much more music than they do teaching. People seem to like the entertainment. They seem to like the programs and the Hollywood spectacle. But and put a pastor up there and let him teach the Bible for an hour, or they would die. They would be looking at their watches and rolling their eyes and wondering what time the cafeteria was going to close. But as long as you have some sort of American Idol spectacle going on, well, they're entertained. They're slow and sluggish. Some of them have been saved 20 and 30 years, and they should be teaching others, but they're not. That's what this verse says. You ought to be a teacher. But now someone has to come back and teach again the very first principles, the basics of God's word. Why? Because you're still a baby, the writer says. You're unskilled in the word of righteousness. The only thing you can take is milk, the writer said. So when some pastor tries to give detailed information, they gag on it. They can't chew it up and swallow it. They can't digest it. They need their bottle. There's a song out about that. I heard it a long time ago about baby Christians on a bottle. I'll never forget that song. The writer here says solid food belongs to those who by reason of use, what does that mean? It means study to show thyself approved unto God. Reason of use can discern good and evil. I can't explain why some people have no desire to grow spiritually. I I just don't know why it is. Maybe it's just taste. But it's imperative that you know the scriptures. Otherwise, you are going to be easily distracted, easily confused, and wind up under legalistic tradition rather than biblical Christianity. That's important. I hope you're understanding Your role in God's plan is critical. You've been left here to fulfill a mission. We're here to serve our master's interest. He's invested in us, and it's not unreasonable to expect a return. He's equipped us, and we must use our spiritual resources or we're going to fail the mission. You hang in here with me. Next week, we'll press on, and we'll see some more of this information about your time on earth. Until then, this is Rick Hughes, host of The Flotline, saying thank you for being with me today. Thank you for listening to The Flotline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, 
please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. Or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.